Hey, I've got a pretty interesting talk for you today uh, with Joe Douglas. He's a psychotherapist who works out of the, the hills in uh, Perth, Western Australia. So it's kind of east, uh, yeah, east inland towards the desert. <laughs> and found out about Joe through my housemate Michael originally. We were talking about lots of different philosophical things and meditation and a few others in there I can't remember. And Michael let me know about Joe and that he was a pretty real kind of guy and ran these weekend workshops called um, New Leaf Workshops or Turner New Leaf Workshops. What grabbed me about Joe was his videos on his website. He was talking about topics in this very relaxed and natural manner, very, very authentic and it felt like he was just sharing knowledge with a good friend and not trying to sell me anything, which of course everyone likes. So that was a good sign. And I also uh, read on his website that he's basically dedicated his life to helping people remove the blocks from their lives so they can just be themselves. So I was like, hmm, probably should give uh, give Joe a, uh, an email Give him an email. Yep, I'm going to give him an email in his hand and see what he thinks about the idea of having a talk. And it worked out. We sat down up in the hills uh, in his... <laughs> we sat down up in the hills. So I've been trying to improve my, my grammar recently. So I'm really focused on <laughs> all the mistakes I'm making at the moment. Okay, grammar Nazis out there, maybe switch off now yeah just like go and have a cup of tea or something so we sat down and talked in his studio nice and quiet there were a few chickens and birds outside trying to get in really curious about how to unblock their authenticity and yeah we just had a really real chat about what are what is actually stopping us from being us and I, I don't really have to say any more about that. If you're interested in learning more about that, if if you've been struggling uh, to understand why it is you're uh, dealing with procrastination or incredible uh, emotional reactions like anger or fear or jealousy, um, self-doubt, all of these things, if you've had those come up really strongly, then definitely uh, keep listening because this is one heck of an episode. What is stopping us from being ourselves and just feeling comfortable to be ourselves? Yes. You know, even right now, I'm a bit nervous. Yeah. You're just another person. Yes. I'm another person. Yeah. Is there any reason for me to be nervous? Maybe not. Maybe not. And are you making me feel nervous? I don't think so. I can say you're very relaxed, just enjoying yourself, yeah. having a sip of water. Yeah. So there's something going on inside of me yes. that's causing this. Uh, nervousness yeah. and affecting like how fast I speak, yes. my thought processes, all of that. So, yeah. what are these blocks and where do they come from? Are they just emotions? Well, I mean, that's, that's interesting. That's a loaded word straight away saying just emotions. It like <laughs> diminishes them straight away. They're really important. I think the emotions are good indicators of something important going on. Like what you just talked about, it's a good example that you're noticing that you're feeling a bit anxious. You know, you look a little bit emotional. By emotional, I mean you look a little bit like there's stuff going on just under the surface. You know, it could be all the many, many amount of things, you know. You're sitting in, it's, it's my home ground, it's my little room we're sitting in, it's one thing, you know. You might have heard other things from other people, so you might be a bit intimidated could be anything going on. You could have an issue with a father figure type thing going on or an authority thing. But I'm thinking about, for this particular example, 
the um, the authority that is most interesting is your own authority, and it's the kind of authority that are you able to connect with that? All of that other stuff that you described falls away naturally. You can't force your way through that other stuff. It's not. It's like a like an ego kind of stuff. There's all this stuff protecting yourself from yourself, mm. and also protecting that which is the most pure of yourself from damage from the outside. Right. I think that's what it is. So rather than trying to uh, make it wrong straight away, that will defend itself more and more, mm. as it should. You know, as it should. Because till you feel truly safe enough, that stuff's not going to come to the fore. Your radio is not going to come to the fore. Okay, so we, from what I understand what you just said, mm. we're being blocked by our, our own protective mechanisms yes. that have been triggered off at some point yeah. in our lives. Yeah. I'm guessing childhood. Usually, usually, yeah, usually, and they're there for a very good reason. So to to dismiss them you know, diminish them or try to make them go away is like a, a way to violate oneself as well. Because they're perfectly, you know, it's a perfectly sensible thing to do to try and keep yourself safe. Why would you not? Yeah. It'd be bonkers not to. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you mentioned um, us feeling us being in this very open, raw, vulnerable state. Yes. Uh, straight away, childhood comes to memory. Yeah. You know, at that point, we've got no reference for really what, what pain is or what fear is. You know, we might just be playing happily and we get a little bit louder. Mm. And dad comes in, mum comes in, just unleashes, just yeah. screams. Yeah. He's like, why are you being so loud? And yeah. just cut it out. And yeah. you know, Suddenly, that's a that's can be interpreted as the wrong thing to be doing. Yeah. Um, I don't really know what the question is behind right. that. I've got. It. I think. I think. I know what you're on about. So when when that happens for a child, it makes perfect sense for a child to think that's about themselves, because you know children are by definition narcissistic, because they are the center of their own universe. You know. So if a parent or some authority figure does just that and has a big rant about something that's going to trigger a heap of fear. And the younger you are, the less words you're going to have around it because it's just a sense then you just know. You know it's not safe out there. Or you know you're not acceptable if you're too loud or too much fun or too something or other. So for you to fit into this family, you've got to like squash that down. That part of yourself that's free and natural, you learn to crush it down. Right. Keep you safe. And Yeah, and as you said, we connect it to our sense of self yes. in that moment yes. because we feel like we're the center of the world or we just perceive everything yeah. as happening to us. Well, you are. Yeah. For you, you are the center of the world. Mm. Even even not as kids, even growing yeah, yeah. up. Still, you're still the center of your own world. Mm. I'm not advocating for, you know, narcissistic kinds of behaviors, but if to, to realize, to remove yourself as a frame of reference is, is, is bonkers. You can't do that. You can only view through your own prisms anyway, your own filters. Right, and to dismiss yourself, I mean, that's going to cause some more trouble yeah. anyway. Yeah, because you become the you become the you become the perpetrator or the one that abandons yourself. You take the place of the other ones that have abandoned you in some different ways as well. Okay, so you're reenacting how they've abandoned you in the past yes. by dismissing yourself yes. by abandoning yourself. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And when you're when you're in a society, a contemporary Western society that doesn't value um, feeling true open states, they say things like, "So, if you're feeling some sadness, or you just better have a drink, or you better have a drug, or do something to distract yourself, or put a smiley face on." Mm. When the last thing you feel like doing is smiling, mm. you want to cry. Mm. What's the most healthy thing to do when your body's feeling all these different emotions? is let your body feel the emotions. And, you know, if you need support and you've got support, fantastic. But what I say to people when I'm working with them individually or workshops is, imagine if you were brought up in a family where everyone around you was fully comfortable with the whole wide range of emotion 
and didn't ever give you any messages that you're not good enough just because you're feeling this or that. Because there's no bad emotions. Like, there's a big story out there that says there are, but there's not. It's the suppressing of the emotion that causes the pain. And the suppressing of things like anger for long enough causes even more pain because that's what causes all the damage. What sort of damage are you talking like about? Domestic violence, like um, secondary anger, which is the stuff passed on to the next generation. Secondary anger, what I talk about in on, uh, secondary anger is the kind of anger that's not directed at where you imagine it's come from. So, for example, if you've got a really um, unpleasant boss, it's probably not a good idea to tell your boss how you really feel about them because you're going to get yourself sacked or you'll go home and scream at the kids or kick the dog or something like that. That's secondary anger. The the anger that, that is a result of yeah. some other event. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and you take it out on yeah, someone, else. someone else who's not even involved. Yeah. Okay. So bullying and that kind of um, cycle of perpetration gets passed on, you know, and people say things like, oh, it happened to me when I was a kid, didn't do me any harm. Does you harm? Violence always does harm. Mm. So they used to say things that when I was a young young at school, they'd say things like, um, well, we, we, we all have to go through this. Everyone should have to go through it. We all got the cane. Everyone should get the cane. I don't think so. The, 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 oh, the cane, yeah. right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad got that too yeah. at school. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Just because I got it, you should get it too. Yeah. Okay. I know. Where are we headed with that? You know. I know. That that I've been talking about it recently with some different people about um, how people who have experienced sexual abuse as kids sometimes make a decision that they're never going to have children. Because they know what it felt like, or so they don't want anyone to experience that, and they don't themselves want to become a perpetrator. So for fear of that, they don't go on and have children. Right. But the reality of the stats, I haven't got them on hand, but the reality is, there's a very very small proportion of people who've ever been abused go on to become abusers with their own sexual abuse. But it's true that most who do have been abused. You see what I mean? The vast majority don't, don't because they know what it felt like. So the opposite's true. That's really interesting. Yeah. We're sort of given a different fact oh, to that, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. I just want to step back a little bit and um, ask you a little bit about yourself. Mm -hmm. um, from the videos I've seen on your website, yeah. uh, turning in new leaf, that's yeah, right, dot com, don't yeah. you? Um, there's just this immediate authenticity that comes through on them. And I was mentioning before we started recording, there was yeah. just a very... I mean, I just trust that. I think people yeah. trust when someone else is being authentic. Uh, for me, you can also feel like there's a certain level of courage involved, yeah. maybe early stages of being authentic. Um, so my question is, have you, I mean, everyone's on their own life path, but yeah. have you always felt like expressing yourself just as you has been a natural thing or have you had to work at that? Um, I think it's been natural, mostly. I've worked a little bit on it, but mostly it's been natural. The only thing, even when I went to uni as an uh, adult, uh, older, I was 40 when I went to uni to do psych, but just doing that, the only thing I was any good at was the presentations, the oral presentations. I'm good at that. I have no trouble connecting with myself and just delivering what I need to deliver. That's really easy. Um, and as I look back from when I was young and I was a foreman in engineering and, and mechanical things, found it easy to talk to big groups of fellas and uh, work with men. So it's been natural. And I, I look back and think maybe some of that's because I was as a, as a child, I was an only child. So I was only talking with adults. You know, I was playing chess with adults. I was... The, the adults I had most interactions with, I, I would go to the convent and talk talk to nuns and uh, the priests were friends of mine, things like that. So I was always around adults who didn't mind listening as well. So I think that was lucky. Right, didn't mind listening. Now yeah. uh, I'm guessing that made you feel quite heard and also yeah. uh, they were validating your presence yeah. as well. Yeah. Okay, that's nice to hear actually. Um, yeah, I've come from a background where of, of a lot of self-doubt, so it has felt like I've really had to work at my, uh, on myself yes. to feel like I'm worthy of being heard. Yeah. 
you know, it makes sense. And I've come a long way, but, you know, it's a, it's an ongoing journey. And that's part of what this, this podcast is about, yeah. to map that journey and lay it out for people so they have a bit of an easier time going through it mm. so you can see what's involved. Um, have there been areas that haven't come so easily to you? Like, I guess what I'm getting at is, well, maybe I'll let you answer that question. Um, well, around uh, personal development work, I mean, that sort of stuff. Yeah, connecting with other people, connecting with yourself in yeah. certain areas of life. I think when I was young, I, I, I struggled. Um, like uh, family of origin stuff and culturally, the north of England where I was, the sense was, a bit like the opposite of what I talked about earlier, the sense was best not to show anything. If you fail something, don't show it. So if you fail sad, the sense was best have a drink or, or smoke or both. So if anger, and you know, that works for everything, anger, sadness, fear, mm. even joy. You know, everywhere things covered with alcohol and smoking and Luckily, I didn't get into many other drugs, but I know alcohol does enough damage. And my process of um, personal growth was triggered from when my first wife and I separated and I had four kids to look after on my own. The kids all stayed with me. And um, uh, I think four or five years in, I met the lady that was to become my second wife, Moira, and she got me into looking at some stuff. I had no real clue about how actually angry I was feeling about a lot of personal injustice, social injustice. And uh, when I started to tap into that, my eyes started to open up and go, oh my word, it's like a power station in there. Inside yourself. Mm. How old were you around that time? Um, then I would have been about 34, 35. So I did about um, six years of pretty intensive workshopping and um, supporting on workshops and uh, different kinds of modalities, you know, breath work and psychodrama and imago, all sorts of stuff, all sorts of stuff, just to um, help myself get clearer and clearer. So what was the driving force there to become clearer? The driving force was, for me, I was looking at, um, I was just imagining, my wife didn't, doesn't drink, never has drunk, and um, what was a revelation for me was she didn't ever judge the fact that I was drinking. When I first met her, I was still drinking, and um, she used to say, you can do anything you want, you can do anything you want. And I, that was a shock, because... I'm not used to hearing that, you know. And so I started to think about the consequences of my choices then. Instead of rebelling against someone else telling me I couldn't do this or I couldn't do that, and then the other part of me would say, I definitely will then if someone's telling me I can't do it. I started to think, well, this isn't really helping me. It's not helping anybody else. And I, I'd learned all those lessons that what you do is suppress emotion, and I'd been trying to suppress the same myself for years. And then the, the paradox of it was, for me, the more in relationship with it I got, the less it had a hold over me anymore. It was, it's like, instead of trying to deny it and suppress it, I can um, just be with it and it's, it's cool, it's fine. You know, if I feel sad, I just feel sad. If I feel angry, I just feel angry. But it doesn't mean, doesn't mean that I become identified with it anymore, which I would have done back then, like before I started doing any of it. Like when I'd get angry, man, people knew. People knew if I got angry, they would run for cover. But no, I can still, I can still get to that level of anger, but I don't need to. But it's there, you know. It's like a, it's a resource if I ever need it, I suppose. I so when a society that thinks there's bad emotions, like anger's bad, sadness is bad. As soon as you fail one of those, some, then you're bad. You become identified with that story. Well, I must be bad then because I'm feeling angry. I must be ang I must be bad because I'm feeling sad at the state of the, the planet and the social mismanagement and the rest of that goes on. Mm. Well, I'd be saying if you're not feeling sad or angry, there's something wrong. <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> yeah. 
Anything I would tell the other thing. Yeah. So you did all this work on yourself because yeah. you you want you 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 could sense there was something not yeah. quite right with you. So am I right in? Not that it was nothing quite right, but there was more. There was more. I think that was what I was after. You know, I was asking those questions of myself, saying, "Is this life? Is this life?" You know, I was working. I was working, I'd gone back on the tools, I was working as a mechanic and um, I did my time in the Air Force as a mechanic when I was a young fella, when I was straight from school. So it was always um, uh, easy get out of jail free card really, if I need it, I can just go back on the tools, you know. So one of the biggest challenges was, um, would be back in about 2005 or six. I was working up at Calamunda there, pretty decent job at Toyota. I really enjoyed it. The mechanical stuff was great. It's lovely working on brand new Toyotas, you know. It was like pretty, really cruisy. But my body, which I was paying more and more attention to those days, didn't like it. You know, I was, I was still just at the end of the time I was going to stop smoking, but I was still smoking, and I was still drinking. Not so much, but I was still drinking. But every morning my body would feel sick. I would feel sick. I would have that anxious churning feeling in my stomach that I used to have as a little kid when I didn't like going to school. And one morning I stopped at the service station and it just hit me like a sledgehammer. I went to get my petrol and I went and bought some cigarettes. And on the counter they had those, you know, those little energy drinks, those little shots of one of those energy drinks, those and they had like indigestion tablets, and they had headache tablets, and and they had um, various fizzy, you know, caffeinated drinks. And I thought, so the message is, whatever you're feeling, like do something to distract yourself from it and make it go away. And I thought, I'm not gonna do that anymore. So I went and um, inquired about getting into uni and did a stat test and went and signed up with Murdoch and thought, I'm going to do this. So I, I met Michael down there, actually. At the uni? Yeah, yeah we were doing psych at the same time. Um, so it was a big, long, old, slow process, but it, but the, what I was getting at was the more I was paying attention to my body, the more I was realising if I kept ignoring it, it was going to be really bad. Like, my neck was sore... And I'll be driving to work thinking, can't wait till work day finishes. And I was thinking, this is no, no way to be living a life. Okay. So you, were, you were after more, you could sense that there was more to it. Yeah. Because yeah. I guess if we don't have a sense that there's more we can go after, yeah. there might not be any incentive or realisation yeah. to... Because it's clear to me, it's clear to you, but there... I guess speaking personally, yeah. I get frustrated when I see someone's clearly uh, dealing with some emotional charge, big one, yeah. or fairly decent, causing trouble in their relationships or within themselves. Yeah. But I have to also step back and be like, you know what, that is their choice. Yeah. And just as you came to your own realisation, yeah. they will also, when they're ready. Yeah. So I guess that's me talking to me about that, um, to just calm down. Mm. But, uh, yeah, the frustration comes. It's like, why, why don't we all know this stuff? Why, why aren't, don't we have a little class in school? Well, that's what's said. Yeah? Right? Said it done, they've come and done workshops and said, we should have done this at school. Yeah. You know, in, instead of double physics or double chemistry, we should have had a double emotional intelligence. So, you know, makes sense, really. Because that's what's going to lose you loads of jobs when you get out in the workplace. You know, you can have a massive IQ, but if you've got no EQ, you're going to be canned in no time. Because you can't relate to yourself, so therefore you can't relate to teams of people either. Pretty simple, really. Makes sense, makes sense. Okay. So then you find if someone's got a big, big kind of emotional charge going on, it's almost always an old thing. It's usually an old thing. Some kind of um, major threat to them. You know, the well-being, the mm. sense of who they are. Right, earlier on. Activates the big defences. Right. 
So like the the challenge when you when you're around that kind of behavior is, it's that um, you know when someone you know I can't remember where that comes from, but you know when someone is behaving in a completely unlovable way, that's when they need most of all love, obviously. So that's because inside all that other stuff that's going on is all a load of hurt. And that hurt has come from earlier on. Generally, Generally, not always, but generally. And it can trigger similar hurt in another person or the people around them. That's the part that's incredibly challenging. can be, I find, when someone's having a very strong emotional reaction and then another one gets set off because of it. Yeah. An opposite, imposing force which validates the original one again. Yes. So it takes a lot, mm, takes a pretty emotionally intelligent person to be like, oh, I see what's going on here. I can also feel my own stuff going on inside me, yeah. but let's bring him or her some love. And so that's really exactly what they need. And so when someone's really activated and triggered off, it's probably not the best start at time to start having them deep conversations because it's not going to help. So just, you know, you've got to be able to keep them safe and keep yourself safe till when someone's de-escalated enough so you can actually have those kinds of conversations. What's really going on for you there? What did you need? What did it remind you of? That sort of stuff. Is there something I can help you with? Mm. Questions. Mm. So, I mean, I'm just reading behind you on the thing. Oh, yeah. Courage uh, as yeah. a, a poster. What would you call that? It's like a hanging. It's a wall hanging. Yeah, the wall hanging thing. Yeah. Motivational dude. I'm not mad keen on a lot of them things, but it's a, a misquote. It's Marianne Williamson, but it, Nelson Mandela did use it in his inauguration speech. But uh, that's where it came from, Marianne Williamson. But you know, it makes a lot of sense because without courage, you're not going to really get into the realms of who you really are. It's pretty scary. You know, for some people, it feels like a great big. Uh, volcano out there or a big abyss out there or something big black hole very scary yeah the first two lines of this is our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate Mm. our deepest fear is that we are all powerful beyond measure yeah exactly now imagine if you know it was true because it is imagine if that's true and everyone would realize that for themselves and like um that's what I was talking about, about my wife used to say to me, you can do anything you want. You can, you can do anything you want, but you've got to be prepared for the consequences of your actions. So if you want to drink and drug yourself to an early grave, you can do that. If you want to wake yourself up and bring the fullness of your brilliance, however that manifests, bring it. If you want to you know, keep your head down and not live your life very fully, do it. You can do what you want. But it's all about choice. But until someone can get to that place of choice within themselves, there's no real choice. When I first started doing this work, I thought to myself, I don't think I'd ever made a choice in my life. I think everything was just automatic response to certain conditions. Like I joined the military because that was the sorts of things you can do. You can work in the shipyards, you can go on the coal mine, you can get an apprenticeship or you can join the forces. Stuff it, I'm going to join the forces. Mm. You can't join the army because I was in the army. That was my dad. You can't join the army. You join the navy or the air force. Oh, he didn't want you to join the army. Not because he'd been in the infantry. He didn't like it. Okay. So, and you, you, you're saying that you never felt like these were your choices that you were making. No. Not aligned with you. No. 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 And um, when I was young, I was drawn. I felt a draw to, I was always interested in power. I didn't really call it power, but I was interested in where it felt like the power was. And so I thought I'd like to do law because it seems like lawyers have heaps of power. But then I got told, you know, that's not for people like us. We can't do that. So this class system thing kicks in. Fascinating. So I thought, all right, well, what else? Medicine, doctors give a heaps of power. Same sort of story, I know, it's a bit much that I don't, you're not strong enough in chemistry and all that, I said, all right. 
priesthood, priesthood. I learned loads of great priests. I was really lucky, you know. Priests I knew were wise, funny, you know, really. I, I never had any of the horror stories around priests when I was a kid. So I thought, well, I'll be a priest, I'll do that. And then as an only child, I thought, I can't, because I can't, I can't get married and I can't have kids. I don't want to do that. So I thought, that's out. And so where do you go? What do you do? And it's taken me all these years to realize the real power is this one inside here that's more powerful than any amount of labels and jobs. Doesn't, the stuff doesn't matter. Interesting. Hmm. How did you begin tapping into that, into your own voice inside, yeah. what you wanted to do? Well, it was definitely connected to paying more and more attention to my body. When my body's saying, you know, your neck's sore, what's going on? Mm. And then the oh, stomach would start, what's going on? You know, and like you, pip, you hear phrases like someone's a pain in the neck. You know, that's usually when you're getting angry. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Your body kind of gives you the message if you're going to pay attention. And then so the body then relaxes. Because if you go ignoring that anxiety, you ignore it, what happens is instead of it being around, hovering around about a two or a three, it'll go to a four or a five, and you'll, you'll start to press it down even more because it's getting a bit scary then. goes to seven or eight. Next thing you know, you're going to have a panic attack. Mm. But if only you just paid attention when it was a one or a two, you would have just going, what, what, what do I need? You've got to make that space for yourself and ask yourself, what do I need? What's going on? Interesting you, you brought up anxiety. Um, I've got a friend who I know has one or two very severe panic attacks a year. Yeah. And when they're going on, I mean, I've had, I haven't had them myself when I was a kid. Mm. And I know your whole sense of reality is completely transformed. Yeah. You can't easily reground yourself yeah. and be like, okay, let's talk myself through that. But I also don't see it as, as this completely unfixable thing. No. You know, like uh, a lot of people see things like depression, anxiety, even uh, loneliness, mm. feeling lonely as uh, things just to manage mm. but never fully get rid of. And not, not get rid of in the bad sense, like mm. it should be eradicated, mm. but, I mean, to process, to move through yeah. and to heal. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think till you actually process it, it's going to always be there. Till you're really in relationship with it, it'll be there. Like trauma. Trauma is the same sort of thing. Traumas are like a freeze in uh, space and time in your body, so your body remembers some traumatic event. And because the way to survive that is you um, dissociate in some way or just shove it away because otherwise you wouldn't have got through it, you see. So, but the trauma is still trundling away in your system till there comes a time when you're resourced enough or you, you know, you've got a good enough therapist or coach or friend or partner that can guide you to be in relationship with it. And then rather than being overwhelmed by the whole thing, you've got to learn out or someone will teach you how to break that down, you know break it down into little bite-sized pieces so you don't get overwhelmed by the whole experience. So if it was a specific trauma, you'd have a little dip your toe in, stop, and then they process all the emotional stuff around that. That might be, it would take a whole hour, you know, and then next time you go at it again, you just go a little bit further down the film of the event. Stop, and then you process all that. But once you've processed all that, you really are free from it. You don't, you don't forget it, but it, the impact of it in your body is not there anymore. Got it. I know some of the things I've processed for myself before starting that journey, there was no reference point. There was nothing. I was like, am I insane? Like, why am I experiencing this? There's nothing yeah. around me happening to cause me to feel this way. And yet it's a very strong reality. Yeah. And I remember feeling a bit defeated, realizing just not having any idea on where to start or even if there was anything there. I just felt crazy because I was having this reaction, mm. but I didn't know where to start. And I didn't even think there was a place, anything to be done. It's just mm. like, this is me. I'm crazy. Yeah. 
or I act in this angry, jealous, um, self-defeating way, and this is just who I am. And so from everything you've already said, I guess I was at the point where I didn't know the dynamics of what was going on inside me. I didn't know what was actually happening. I was interpreting it in my own lenses, but I've read enough now uh, of like self-help books, talking to people like yourself to realize everything has a cause. And it's not to be ignored. It's not just some quirk that's just, oh, well, I guess I'll just put up with it or, as you said, drink it away or take, uh, for say, depression or something, just take some antidepressants. Squash it down, yeah. or you know, and and the case is to be made. I mean, this is an interesting topic of 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 clinical depression. I don't know how that differs from when someone says I'm depressed. Mm-hmm. You know, the case could be made that they really do require some medication to help them on their journey. I don't know enough about that area to really say anything mm. of of worth there. But um, is that a subject you want to talk about? Or I'm not a big fan of it either, but. I, I agree. There's probably sometimes for for a small proportion of people that some meds might just keep them alive for a little while to support them, but I don't think it's a good intervention for the vast majority of people because it's once again it tells you that you, you're not you're not responsible for yourself. You can take a tablet and that'll make it go away. So it's not about um, I get that, but I get the symptoms of you know depression uh, like all consuming and. Um, horrible but I, I've got a strong suspicion that w- one of my pet things is that most people once they start moving that energy called anger they feel a lot less depressed mm. I said it should be called clinical suppression and not clinical depression because mostly you're suppressing so much stuff for a long time becomes your way of being and it might not just be anger could be sadness could be whatever's the big story in your family is the thing that you're not allowed to feel that's the stuff you lock away i'm at a crossroads <laughs> it's a very interesting way to go um the family stuff that's a very huge area that can easily dismiss that family story that can easily dismiss what you feel is true for yourself yeah. Where you'd like to go in life, yeah. you know, things like, you know, you can't become a doctor because of this or you can't do this because of that. Well, you know, well, I think the heart, the heart of it's trust, trust in yourself. So you get all those messages when you're little so that diminishes what you're actually feeling. So you're feeling scared, you want, don't want to go to school, your stomach's churning. So what well, used to be for me. Oh, you know, there's nothing wrong with you, you know, you're just making it up, you're a hypochondriac. Oh, well, there mustn't be anything wrong with me, so I better go, you know. But you know, you're just overruling, your body feels rubbish. And so, but you learn, if you get the message reinforced enough that, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to fail, I'm not going to allow myself to fail because I'm not even going to listen to that conversation anymore. Mm-hmm. So I've got to squash it down. Or uh, you're not scared, you know, it's only, it's only a storm. What are you scared about? So a little kid, the only two things they're really scared about is loud noises and being dropped. That's the only... Fears you're hardwired with, you know, been makes sense. As a baby, you don't want to be dropped on loud noises. So people slamming doors, very, very scary. Because the first time you might even be able to cast your mind about the first time you hear someone slam a door, it's like being hit in the chest. It's a shock. And that's what it is. It's like a trauma bang on your chest and your heart. And so what you do is you defend yourself. You become hard-hearted. You harden your heart to stop yourself getting hurt like that. And so if you if you have vulnerable moments and someone slams the door, boom, it'll hurt again. So you, you protect yourself from the loud noises. So what the process of, a lot of the nasty side effect of socialization is, you learn not to trust yourself. Because these people who are bigger and wiser must know better than me. Mm. But my body's telling me don't do this, but they all tell me I should do it. Better off paying attention to your body, actually. And the reason they've got that story is because they're not in a relationship with it. So if you've got a mum or a dad that really is triggered or scared of sadness, for example, and you're doing some sadness, they'll freak them out. And they'll usually get really angry and make you want to stop the sadness. Mm. Don't be sad, I'll give you something to be sad about. Mm. That's crazy making stop talking it. 
Yeah, just it's another uh, cycle of the perpetuation yeah. of that issue, yeah. reinforcing it and uh, all the rest of it. That's what. So about the relationship thing is if you, if people were to take responsibility for themselves to get in relationship with all their own stuff around the different emotions, then they're not going to have such a big uh, trigger when their kids are demonstrating an emotion. It's like so the kids angry or sad or it's fine. Usually need something. Anger's usually a need that's been unfulfilled. That's what usually going on. So if you can get the and the relationships are what creates the conditions for the healing as well. So whether it's a therapeutic relationship or a friend or a you know family, someone you trust out there, that can create healing. It's just someone can support you to be in a relationship with what's really going on. That's enough. And you know that. You know, I'm I'm lucky. I've got lots of really amazing mentors in my life. But what makes them amazing is they love me in spite of me. They love me even if I get if I'm coming from that little tiny place. They still love me anyway. So it's like my body just breathes a sigh of relief around those kinds of people. Like that deep breath. <laughs> And that's the beginnings of coming home to yourself when you let yourself have those deep breaths and, you know, everything's okay and you're okay. You don't have to do anything or be anything to be better. You're fine, just how you are. Mm. I don't think I ever get tired of hearing that. It's, mm. it's something... I just find it so crazy how we can be so far away from the truth yeah. of who we are. And you know, a question that keeps coming up: Why, why are we so scared of our power, of our, of of who we are, yeah. and what life would be like if we brought that out for everyone to see? Yeah. And we're actively working on it and developing it. Why are we so scared of that? Well, I think a lot of these, um, what you would perceive as problems, have actually got noble origins. You know, they so you would be frightened of been powerful because you've seen power misused so there's this noble part inside that thinks well I don't want to misuse power like that I don't want to hurt people like that I don't want to hurt people the way I've been hurt or I don't want to be like you know those people so I'll squash it all the way so the sad outcome is then you'll never get to bring all that power which is actually what the world does need so what's the way forward there the way forward is, um, well, it sounds very Buddhist, but more compassion, more kindness to yourself. That's it. Be kind to yourself. Like if you've been kind to yourself, you can't behave in those ways that are self-defeating. You can't do all the drinking and the drugging and all. You can't, because it's not really supporting you, is it? You know, I used to be a bit jealous of the Dalai Lama, you know, and he talks about, well, whatever he talks about is always amazing. But I think, well, you know, wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't any kid who was brought up around a load of wise, enlightened monk-type people who only wanted the best for them and only loved them fully their whole lives, imagine being immersed in that. Wouldn't any kid be like a blooming Dalai Lama? Of course they would. I used to think, well, try out my life and see how Dalai Lama like you are then, mate, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Right now I'm kind of, um, I don't really think you said it, very strong words, so I'm kind of like off in my own little zone, so I'm struggling to, to uh, keep up with the questions. But I, do, I just want to yeah. take this out. Yeah. And we'll finish soon. Mm. I know there are people out there who may be listening to this uh, and are in a very dark place, really at the bottom of the bottom. Mm. If you can remember when you were sort of at a, a, a down place mm. as well, what what sort of advice would you give yourself now from this point where you are to that self who was struggling and suffering yeah. at that time? 
Um, I would be sent to myself that this isn't who I am. This isn't like this isn't the sum of who I am, and um, there's more to life than this, and I've got to stick around to find out what that is, because I've got gifts to bring, and sometimes what it feels like is a massive, like you know, existential crisis, is actually some kind of major spiritual growth spurt just beginning. That's all. So the last thing that needs is medicating in any kinds of ways, you know, I just need to be able to be with it and be with it and be with it. So how to do that is somehow you've got to be able to summon up for yourself that compassion for self, you know, love for yourself. And the other stuff falls away. Like it did, and it did for me when, when I'd processed enough grief, it was the key for me, grief, Processed a load of grief doing one big uh, therapy session maybe 10 years ago now. And it was like going through an emotional ringer, really was. Mm. But the next day when I woke up, it, it literally overnight it felt like I woke up uh, as a non-drinker, a non-smoker. It just like there was nothing in me that was a smoker or a drinker anymore. Whereas before that I used to be always trying to stop this and trying to stop that. But even in the word trying, there's amazing self-defeat in it. Because even if I fail, I'm still succeeding. Because I only said I was trying to stop drinking. Got it. So the day I woke up, and I, I've actually felt and still feel like a non-drinker, it was, it was f fairly blooming amazing. And it's 10 years now, and having said that, sometimes when I go through a heap of emotional stuff, even now, it's almost like my body will let off a layer of nicotine sometimes. I can sometimes smell my arm if I've gone through a big heap of grief or something like that. And it's like I could smell as if I've been smoking. And it's like it's almost like my me cell memory is so deep down, just another layer, another layer keeps peeling off. Yeah. It's like, this is, I don't think there's like an end place. you just got to keep doing what you can do. That's it. Just on that point... I know early on when I've heard, you know, there's no end point, just Ooh. keep keep going. That felt a bit defeating when I was like, oh, my God, there's no end. I'm feeling so shit and there's no end. Well, no, no, no. Yeah. It's a good thing that there's no end. Yes. Because there's no win. There's no ultimate no. first place. No, there's no place. There's no place you have to get to, you know, that makes you worthy of love because you're already worthy of love. That's what it's really about. If I, If I... You know, and then we have we teach kids from early on. If you do this with your homework or you pass this exam, well, then you'll be worthy. Well, that's awful, isn't it? They're actually perfect right now. And so then we take that into our life. You know, if I if I have this partner or that partner or this job or that job or this car or that car, then I'll be happy. Bet you won't. Bet you won't. Because as soon as you get that new phone or car or whatever, there'll be another new one along in five minutes anyway. So. And you need that. So that rampant consumerism is fueled by that feeling of um, not being good enough. Like if I have this, then it proves I'm worthy, you know. Mm. <laughs> that doesn't. Are there any resources you'd recommend someone who's um, wanting to start their journey? I would say meditation is a good tool to learn. Like whatever meditation you feel drawn to is useful. Okay. Um, I did Vipassana a couple of times, you know, 10 days of silence. It's pretty intense. Yeah. I don't recommend that willy-nilly because it's, no, it's full on. Really yeah. <laughs> yeah, I found that challenging. But um, anything that helps you become more mindful and mindfulness in itself is a, you know, great tool because you, you don't have to go off and sit in silence for 10 days. You just notice without judgment what's going on that's the key got to be without judgment mm. you go if you can't start beating yourself up because you're noticing this neck pain and you know it's even worse than not noticing the neck pain yeah right so self self-awareness mm. and once you're aware of the thing yeah perhaps being aware of the judgments you have about the thing as well yeah, exactly keep stepping back yeah and go back as many steps as you need to go back so you can get to that place that is non-judgmental. Mm. 
Because, you, you know, we're amazing beings, we can do that. We can do that. That's incredible. If, if people are interested in finding out more about your workshop, mm -hmm. how can they do that? Uh, there's a webpage www.turninganewleaf.com.au um, Those be the next uh, date on there for the next workshop. And, and how do you structure it? You mentioned you're at a few so different... It's a two-day two workshop now, Saturday and Sunday, 9 till 5. So basically it's a really um, mindful exploration of your relationship with all the emotions. Anger, sadness, fear, shame, joy, love. Okay. With the intention of been well the intention of being clearer within yourself and then having a greater capacity for doing what it is that most people say that they want more than anything, which is loving. So you ask people what they want more of, they want more love. But then you ask them what they do about it, mostly they don't do anything about it. Okay. Because they're not in relationship enough with themselves to actually be able to do much about it either. And so that's what you help people mm. come through. Yeah. Build, ask, I, talk, I say it's about building capacity to um, give and receive love. That's what it's about. Because that defendedness, that compulsive defendedness most folk have, keeps them safe, fair enough, but also stops the good stuff coming in. Right. So you can live a pretty mediocre... Functional kind of life. Functional, yeah. Sort of neither here nor there. Yeah, Just but die a bit every day. That's what it felt like for me when I was doing the mechanic and back then, you know, I was dying a bit every day. And I chose to not be dying a bit any day. Even when there's a day coming that I will die, I haven't gone through my dad dying in England just last at Christmas time. I realised more and more that I'll just do what I'm doing now because that's the work I need to do. You know, when you find the work you need to do, you've got to keep doing it. And um, if I only had a week, I would just keep still doing it. If I had a, 10 years, I would keep doing it. If I had 50 years, I'd keep doing it. It's healing work. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. And there's no shortage of people that can benefit from the work, and there's no shortage of people, you know, who are really, really struggling out there. They're like trying to find a way home, find a way home to themselves, but they haven't got a map. So it's just about tooling them up, really, to find them up. Get in touch with what we call, you know, from a psychotherapy train, the map maker. The map maker is the one that makes up all your maps of how the world is for you. Till you get in touch with that one, you're always going to struggle. Interesting. So becoming aware of your inner landscape and your inner map maker. Yeah. I really like that term. That's great. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to add before we finish? Um, no, I think that's good. I've enjoyed it. Thanks, Ben. No Thank you, Joe, for your time. Yeah, it's great. Thank you. Great. Hope you got something out of that episode. As always, send your feedback to beersforbeing.com slash contact. And if you feel like leaving a review on iTunes, that would be wonderful. You can do that at beersforbeing.com slash iTunes. Your review really helps other people find the podcast and get something out of it just like you have. All right. See you next week.